0: Everybody and Welcome to the Makers of Minnesota podcast, where we talk to cool people doing cool things. And I'm here with Morgan Baum today, and she is the owner of Clay Coyote, which is one of a very few companies in around the country that are doing something called flameware. You're in Hutchinson, your second generation. This company was started by your mom and a business partner. Welcome to Makers of Minnesota.
1: Thank you, Stephanie. I'm so glad to
0: be here. So I loved, I read a little bit about you on your website. You've got a good story there. And I read a little bit about how your mom and her business partner were potters. And then you as a 14-year-old kid kind of got involved. And one of my favorite stories was how you guys had like a self-service shop.
1: Yeah, we still have people come in every single week and tell us that they came from the pump house, which was this tiny little um, hut on the property on the farm when I grew up, and you'd pick up a mug and you'd leave $10. And, um, and and that's really how trusting and how um, homegrown we originally are.
0: I kind of love that. I wish we were all still like that today. And I know some people are, but it's just the idea that you just kind of cash and carry. I guess there's a lot of Amish farms that do that with eggs and that sort of thing.
1: That's true. And sometimes people call me and order some pots over the phone and I don't have a chance to get their credit card. And then they call back a day later and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, oh, don't worry. I already put it in the mail. I knew you were good for it. So I I think there's still a level of trust in our small business that you might not find anywhere else.
0: Yeah, exactly. So you are um, second generation Clay Coyote and you guys are really known and it makes sense. uh, I'm going to back up. I'm a cook. And like flameware and cookware and pottery, of course, they've been cooking in pottery for thousands of years. Yet we sort of got away from that in the, we'll call it the modern cooking age. And it's now sort of like a trendier thing to do, but it's also like based in our heritage. So you guys are uniquely situated to make flameware. Can you tell me about that in particular? Because I think that's a really cool story.
1: Great. Well, we say that we make art you can cook with. And what we mean is there are many different types of pottery. Mostly the traditional pottery that people are familiar with is stoneware or porcelain or terracotta like you'd get at a garden center. But about 15 years ago, we started working with a chef to develop a specific type of clay and a specific type of glaze that could expand and contract with heat so it could go on the open stovetop or on a grill. And if you put that terracotta pot from the garden center or one of your plates um, that you bought at an art show on an open flame, it would crack in under a minute. But our flameware mine can go from cold in the refrigerator to a hot stove or an, a grill and it, it doesn't flinch. It took a lot of work to get it to that point. We had um, some very fun science experiments. We had some pots explode. We had some pots crack. We had glaze, fall off, and chip off, but about 12 years ago, we, we found the magic combination of clay body and glaze body that married perfectly to make the flameware line that we have. There are two other potters in the country that make and sell flameware that are, that are pretty big companies, kind of like ours. Um, one is on the East Coast, one's on the West Coast, and here we are, snack in the middle, I and all of, all of them make it a little bit different, so you can tell whose pieces are whose, because you know, some of us have um, kind of a more um, traditional look. Some I I focus on. I want you to know it's a saucepan, so it looks like a saucepan. And so, and um, some of the other potters might do something that's a little more avant-garde. Um, but everybody takes their own twist on it. I personally, I I think our our cookware is um, it's great for every day.
0: And you have like tons of pieces, right? So you talked about a saucepan. There's a stir fry. There's pour over situation for coffees. You, like you have all different kinds of this literally that can go from like refrigerator to oven. I love that.
1: Yeah. I mean, our number one pieces are the ones that are really unique. So no one else in the country makes a clay grill basket. We're it. And it's got holes and then a little tiny handle. Um, t- so it doesn't take up too much room, but it's still, you know, maneuverable. But then the other thing that we make that nobody else makes domestically is a tajine that can go on the stovetop. And um, I've traveled to Morocco. I've taken cooking classes there. And, you know, tajine is designed to be made over an open flame or a campfire. And there are a lot of tajines in America that you can buy commercially. And they are made out of clay that can't go on the stovetop. And so you're not making the you you know, the recipe in the true traditional fashion, if you're cooking your tagine in the oven. And if you're cooking your tagine in metal, I mean, it's just, it's not what you would get if you were going to Morocco. Now, not everybody can fly to Morocco, go to a souk, get a tagine and carry it back on their lap on an airplane. (laughs) You know, like that's a very expensive piece of cookware. Here at the Clay Coyote, we make a flameware tagine. And so, so many people who are looking for a true Moroccan experience domestically, they come to our website. It, it's actually our number one um, seller by uh, by revenue. The Grill Basket's the number one seller by piece, but they're a little bit different in price. So um, those two like to compete with each other.
0: I love it. And you guys sell like over 7,000 pieces a year. Like you're no small operation
1: we we uh, we seem to get bigger every year when when i took over in 2016 we had two potters and now we have eight and we do make and sell around 7000 pieces a year um and we ship all over the united states and and internationally too but mostly domestically and our you know some pieces are as small as a wine cup and some pieces are as big as a 22 cup cassole pot for french cassoulet
0: yeah, I wanted to hear about that because someone commissioned your mom originally to make this giant cassoulet, and cassoulet is—I uh, don't know—it's a—it's a traditional French dish, but it's also there's so much craft that goes into it because it's a variety of meats and a long cooking time, and there's the beans, and so having the right vessel is kind of important. And twenty-two cups of cassoulet—that's pretty big. It is. It's the biggest pot we make, um, and yes, the, a chef from um,
1: the Sonoma area, Paula Wolfert. Um, she wrote a cookbook called "Cooking in the Southwest of France," and she had a castle, a cassole from France that she wanted to offer to her readers in America. And so we we did create this piece for her, and um, that was goodness. That was probably about two thousand and six or 2008 I can't remember it was a while ago and people still come to us every week to get the Paula Casole. right this year we're working with another chef Sylvie Bigger who has a book coming out in September called Casolet Confessions and um, she commissioned a special cassole from us as well that's a little bit lower wider it's I would say um, it's you know it's designed after a very traditional French piece but we took a little bit of a modern take on it and it's in the black glaze and you know people always want to know if they can get our polycastle in any other color and we're like no it just comes in yellow and um and sylvies were able to do in black but there's a lot of science and uh, math in pottery and so some people are like well why can't I get that piece in another color and part of it is because we you know, not only do we throw and handle and sand and make everything, but when we fire it, the kiln is is kind of finicky sometimes. If you put certain glazes in certain parts of a kiln, there are hot spots and cool spots. And so some of our glaze colors and combinations only perform in one quadrant of the kiln. And if you think about a 22 cup casole with a 13 inch high rim, that is going into a kiln we can only fit three of those in one of our kilns um, at any given time because of where it has to go in the firing. Because sure. the yellow only develops in certain spots, but also the, the size of the vessel is so big that it makes the kiln unsteady. And so the new one that we're making for Sylvie Bigger is a little bit shorter, a little bit wider um, at the base. And since it's black, it can go anywhere in the whole kiln. And so um, that midnight color, that that glaze color we do is is a really versatile one. So it's been, you know, it's always a trial and error. And when somebody comes to us to have us make something, they think, oh, you can just do this really quick. Um, and it never, it's never that way. Anytime we do something out of the ordinary, out of our regular line of work, we're looking at weeks of development, trial and error, and, Um, and honestly, we get really used to making certain forms when we make something different. It, it, it definitely stretches our abilities and it takes us away from making all those other things people want to.
0: Yeah. 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 And it's, that's part of being a small business person too, I think is sort of understanding what your niche is and, you know, you want to push yourself creatively, but you also want to sell what sells and there's always this push to have like the latest, the newest, the coolest, but also knowing what's going to sell. I mean, sometimes that just takes time. Yeah. There's a really great
1: story from the pandemic in 2020. um, We released a new product called the pizza stone out of flameware. And for years, people had been asking us to make them a flameware pizza stone. And I kept telling everybody one Um, it's, it's really hard to get that wide, um, form without having it be super wavy because, um, throwing a a really consistent wide plate like that is, is very technical. And then the second thing i said is nobody's going to want to pay the price that we're going to need to charge for a, a piece like this. Right. Um, everybody wants one, but then they go to Chef or Target and buy one for 20 bucks. And yeah. And then they think, oh, why isn't yours, you know, that price. And so for years I said, you know, I said, no, I said um, that we couldn't make a pizza stone. But when we were all at the stay at home order and everybody was at home, all of our potters wanted to work together and see if we could make a pizza stone. And so it kind of was a little group challenge. And we all, we had 10 different designs and we all made them and took them home and tested them out. And, and then we kind of had a winner. And so, um, then we used kind of our our process to determine the price based on how much time it takes, how much the materials cost and, um, and then how much, you know, it, it would cost to market it. And, and so we came up with the pizza stone and it's, it's become beloved. People go crazy for it. And, um, and so sometimes, you know, I tell people keep asking, you know, if there's something that you think would be a really great addition to our line we we hear you, we want to add it um, at some point, but it, it's not like we could just sit down and make something and yeah. release it. I mean, we, there really is a lot of research and development in pottery too.
0: So Hutchinson is known for pottery you have, um, you're part of the Pottery Festival, and what's the official name of it?
1: Yeah, the Minnesota
0: Pottery Festival. Okay, and you said over 4,000 people come over the course of two days. Tell me more about that, and it started at your family's place originally, right?
1: Yeah, so there are pottery festivals all over the the United States, and um, a group of folks were at the Cambridge, Wisconsin Pottery Festival, and got talking a bunch of potters, and they said we should do one of these in Minnesota. And so um it was it was eleven years ago because this is our tenth anniversary with one year off for the pandemic, and um and we we started out with fourteen potters, and it was just from like two or three states, maybe four states, and now we're up to thirty five potters from uh, thirteen different states. We set up in um, a park called uh, West Masonic Park here in Hutchinson and it's right on the riverfront it's gorgeous and it's two days July 30th and 31st and there's um there it's free there's demonstrations so we have throwing demonstrations we have glazing demonstrations we have firing demonstrations in fact that's one of the highlights is when you can see a pot fired um right before your very eyes Um, and a potter from North Carolina performs those demonstrations. And then we also have a kid's tent where kids can make stuff and take it away with them um, right then and there and food trucks and um, beer and wine. And yeah. And then, like I said, it's free and about 4,000 people come through in those two days. And then we do a survey of people who are there. And the number one thing people say is they're so, impressed and awestruck by how many different ways there are to make pottery so you know where the clay coyote makes pots you can cook with we don't have a huge decorative line but you know two booths down from us at the pottery festival you might see an ex a, a totally different type of clay a totally different firing process carving jewelry you know i mean you'll see every aspect of clay and pottery and ceramics at this show and it's and, uh, you know, you can come for one hour, but there's no way you're going to see everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: How much, so you're a potter yourself. How much time do you spend physically making pots versus running the business at this point? Because that's a part that creatives have a hard time with too. The bigger they get, the more successful they get. Sometimes the less time they actually spend on the art.
1: I spend almost no time in the studio. Um like on the throwing side, none. Um, And honestly, I always say the potters that are on our team are a thousand times better than I am. Um, But I will sit down and help with, sometimes we'll do classes or demos or tours, and um, I'll I'll throw during those for folks. But um, what I do spend a lot of time on is that R&D, so the research and design, and then firing. Because the firing process is such a um, it's kind of critical to the to the end product. So over underfiring, under firing, um, firing for too long, all of that goes into uh whether or not the piece is going to come out how people expect it to. And oftentimes when we fire every single week and um and the gas firing is about 14 to 18 hours long, and you can't leave the kiln alone. So my mom and I often split the duties on the on the glaze firing and part of that is you you got to know how to um tweak the firing as you go by adding more gas or adding more air and and so you're constantly making sure that the pots are going to come out right because most of the time those kilns are about half full with special orders so and when i say special orders i mean custom plate settings, you yep. know, or we were out of all the blue bread bakers. So th- there's six blue bread bakers waiting to get shipped off. And so the last thing I want to do is get to the end of the firing, which after you finish firing, you have to wait two days to look at the pots, which is takes forever. Um, <laughs> and and the last thing I want to do is get to those, you know, two days later and find out I have to tell a bunch of people that they got to wait another week or more for their pieces.
0: Yeah it's, it's interesting to think about it like an oven, but of course it is, you know, like when you cook bake cookies or you get to know your oven at home, you know, there's certain things that certain hot spots you have certain things that work better than others. I never really thought about that in the context of pottery, but that's pretty cool. What is, um, when you think about trends in pottery that you're interested in, is there anything that comes to mind? You
1: know, this, this cooking with clay trend has been slowly ramping up like you talked about at the beginning of the podcast you know i i guess there's there's two thoughts which is yes people are moving away from kind of mass-produced cookware to um, a more handcrafted traditional piece vessel that they could make stuff in that is more traditional also a lot of folks want you know want to support small businesses so when they find out that they can get their kitchenware from a little shop in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. You know with eight eight that you know they get really excited that they they can have these pieces in their lives. But another area that's gotten really interesting for me is the the nickel allergy community in cooking. So so many people have nickel sensitivities where their skin turns green if they wear kind of cheap jewelry. Yep. And the same thing that is happening if they cook in cheap cookware. A lot of metal pots, especially the really inexpensive ones that we all start out with when we go to college, right? A lot of those are made with nickel. And so you're boiling your, your pasta in a pot full of nickel, and then you're putting that into your body. And then you're wondering why you have you know indigestion after you eat everything. And so more and more people are turning to nickel-free cookware. And I've seen it in, commercially. I've seen a bunch of marketing around nickel-free cookware sure. to people. But so many of the pieces of cookware that are made, kind of mass produced, are have nickel in them. And so we have a huge audience
0: of people who come to us for nickel-free cookware. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, and I've uh,
1: noticed that that has changed um, over the last five years.
0: Yeah. And it makes sense. You know, the more toxins and allergens that are in our, our environments, the more we're being triggered by different things, right? So mm-hmm. they're seeing more people that are having more allergic reactions to things. Well, all that's pretty cool. And you can learn more about all the Minnesota pottery at the Minnesota Pottery Festival. I said it right this time? Yeah. Okay. It's (laughs) going to be July 30th and 31st. And it is in Hutchinson. And I'll put a link in the show notes. So if anybody wants to attend, they can visit. Thanks for visiting with me today. It was really fun to get to know you and to hear more about your cookware. I may have to uh, visit your website after we get off the podcast and see what I can see. (laughs)
1: Well, thank you again for having me. And anytime you want to come visit us in Hutchinson at Clay Coyote, we would love to see you and all of your listeners. And we do free tours every day, Tuesday through Saturday.
0: I love it. All right. Thanks, Morgan. I appreciate you being with me. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye.